It is the 11 dub cast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. And after several days of indecision and action and confusion, we appear to have some sort of answer on name, image, and likeness for the state of Ohio going forward. Let's do a very quick recap of how we got here. Okay. So state Senator Narajantani had a bill that he was presenting with the help of Ryan Day, Gene Smith, uh, various Ohio State supporters and athletes, including Cardell Jones. Everything seemed like that was going pretty well. Passed to the Senate unanimously. Looked like it was going to be unanimous to the House. And then one Jenna Powell decides that she's going to attach an amendment to the bill uh, completely unrelated about trans athletes and, and high school sports in Ohio, which just throws the whole thing into complete chaos and confusion. Everybody's super pissed off, including myself, uh, in part because I think it's insane that you would muck up an incredibly obviously beneficial piece of legislation with a pet project that wasn't popular enough to stand alone and on its own as its own bill. Um, so that was annoying. And Tani said, okay, well, that's not going to work attached the language of his bill to another existing bill. Problem is that didn't have an emergency provision, which meant that it wouldn't take place or wouldn't go into effect on July 1st. Instead, it would have to wait until whenever they picked up the bill and presumably in September when they get back from recess. That has, after that would have been passed, it would have been another 90 days after that. So we're all super pissed off about it. Andy and I record the initial version of this podcast on Sunday and we spend 30 minutes like tearing our hair out. And then on Monday, uh, Mike DeWine decides to make us glue our hair awkwardly back onto our head because um, he signs an executive order as uh, Kentucky Governor uh, Bashar did um, to allow NIL uh, language to be put into, I guess it's going to be put in the state budget. For right now, it's an executive order. Looks like everything's okay. The language that he signed in the executive order mirrors what Antani had at his initial piece of legislation so that's cool um and it looks like we it, it's going it's it's done it's it's essentially done it, it is not an actual piece of legislation executive orders do not necessarily have force of law behind them but it will eventually after the state budget is approved and that goes into effect so all of that laid out how are you feeling right now andy vance about the state of nil as it relates to ohio state sports or college athletics in ohio in general yeah, I, I think Governor DeWine deserves a, a huge bit of credit for stepping into the gap, uh, a gap that was needlessly created by a self-aggrandizing politician who wanted to advance their own political agenda. At no one expense. else wanted that. No yeah. one else wanted yeah. that. It's and, and, and you and I are both in agreement. We're not going to debate the uh, amendment that Representative Powell attached because of... Uh, right, it's, that's neither it's, here nor there. It, it, it's irrelevance to the broader discussion that... You had a situation where, and I think it was Speaker Cup, who who said very clearly that without this uh, you know, totally irrelevant amendment from a, a freshman state rep, uh, basically trying to bank on on free media attention, um, it, if you hadn't had that amendment, this thing would have passed both chambers unanimously. It did yeah, pass the look. Senate unanimously before this last minute stunt uh, by the representative from West Central Ohio. And, you know, I, I just think you have to give DeWine a lot of credit because he recognized that this is an incredibly important piece of legislation to Ohio State University Athletics, which, you know, I, I would say there is probably a, a contingent of people out there who don't think the governor should be this personally invested in uh, university athletics. 
However, comma, let's get real. Like this is an important uh, thing in the state of Ohio. Ohio State generally is important to the state of Ohio and Ohio State football is generally very important to Ohio State University. You had, I think, seven or eight other states who already have either laws or executive orders on the books. And as you might imagine, many of those were centered in SEC country plus Texas. Go New Mexico, I guess, for also getting in on that. Otherwise, a bunch of SEC states that had already taken action. Ohio State was going to be at a huge competitive disadvantage, particularly to states and schools like Alabama, Florida, and Georgia, who'd already gotten their ducks in a row to make sure that their student athletes could capitalize on this wave of, of NIL uh, opportunities that are going to be coming down their way in two, three days. Well, and here's the thing about that. There is a cynical way to look at this, and, and maybe that's even valid and warranted because that's how Ryan Day presented it when he was testifying in support of the initial bill, which is that we're going to be put at a competitive disadvantage this is for recruiting. They weren't, you know, mincing words or saying that this is, you know, some kind of like, I mean, well, Coach we Day really- went so far as to say it would be a, and I quote disaster yes. if, if this bill didn't pass. So, I mean, and I appreciate okay. how upfront they were about that. They weren't, you know, beating around the bush and saying, this is definitely for, you know, having, making sure that we're not at a competitive disadvantage against the likes of Alabama or Clemson or something like that. But putting that, kind of cynicism aside it's also because this is just a a good idea and the right thing to do for college athletes in general i i understand that you need to have legislation or you know some kind of like executive order to make sure that this is kind of codified particularly when you're talking about a public institution and student athletes who are part of that public institution that's fine but the idea that you would have to require something like this so that they could benefit from something that pretty much everyone else should also be able to, regardless of whether or not they're a student athlete, you know, like if if I have a successful Instagram page and I want to monetize it, or I come up with a cool idea for a promotion and I want to, you know, have some kind of partnership with an organization or a business, I don't have to jump through that many hoops to get that done as a, as a person out in the world. And so it's interesting to me that, you know, this requires this much hemming and hawing to get it done simply because they're college student athletes. And I'm glad that a person like, I don't know, somebody who's, you know, Trayvon Henderson, whoever, they can take advantage of this to the fullest extent that they want to, because they should, there, there shouldn't be these barriers in place. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm really excited to see what these student athletes come up with. I think people will be surprised at the amount of money some of these guys are making. Honestly, that might, that might freak some people out when they see that a student athlete is making like, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars in a semester or something like that off NIL. That would not shock me if something like that happened. Um, but that's what they should be allowed to do. That is the whole point of this. They, they shouldn't have those kind of restrictions on their ability to make money because it's, it's nonsensical. There's a part of me that, you know, is, is, is like, I, I wonder what the, be careful what you wish for uh, piece of this is going to be like, there's going to be another shoe drop. I, we've talked before on the show as this train has been rolling down the tracks about, you know, the number of shameless grifters and others who are going to be out there trying to take advantage mm-hmm. of these young people. I, I think that's a real concern, but, but I also think university compliance departments are, are probably going to shift their roles and focus away from 
you know, policing some of the ticky tacky nonsense that they have to due to the NCAA's arcane rules and uh, things like trying to make sure that the student athletes don't, by God, make any money off of their uh, <laughs> right. exceptional prowess at playing a, a, a sport. Uh, but, but in the meanwhile, you know, I do think it's going to be interesting to see what, what athletes do make money. I think some of it you think is pretty obvious, like, oh, okay, QB number one at Ohio state's probably going to make bank, you know, third string tight end, maybe not so much, who knows, you, you know, that's going to be part of it. What I ultimately will be interested to see is if we ever see a movement toward something like the NFL PA Mm -hmm. where you know that i don't want to say the the wealth but somehow the the opportunities get a little more evenly spread out I, I wonder if you'll see some development like that will the students will this lead to the students having some sort of collective bargaining agreement as it were if not bargaining is probably not the right but some collective licensing agreement I, you know i don't know i i just think there are going to be some interesting changes that happen because of this but at the end of the day your original statement is, is quite right. Like it's sort of been maddening to think that I, as a college student could go and work two, three jobs, file a patent could, uh, you know, start a business, do, you know, whatever I wanted. And, and there was no chance of me running afoul of some, uh, you know, organization like the NCAA that was going to say, Oh, wait, sorry, Buck, you've got to live in destitute for, uh, four years. And then for the love of the game, for the love of the game, for the love of the game, that's why you're doing it. For the love yeah. of the game. Yeah. You know, it's so you mentioned uh, collective bargaining, things like that. The Alston case that we talked about a few weeks ago specifically sets the stage for something like that. It does. That. Absolutely, it does. And um, I talked quite a lot about Justice Kavanaugh's um, right. concurring opinion. And, and that I think he made a pretty good case for that, that there's. Mm -hmm. There, there may be um, some utility in, in seeing that as one of the avenues that addresses some of the concerns, real or imagined, that people have about what uh, NIL or, or some future um, you know, form of compensation for athletes might look like, and what, what kind of things the NCAA can and can't prohibit universities from doing. Uh, I, I, I do think there's going to, and some of it is going to be, you know, NIL, the thing that's been interesting to me about NIL is that in some ways it's felt like the bridge or, you know, the bandaid, like we all agree that there's a problem here, that the students are the only ones not making any money from college football. Everybody else is getting rich from college football, except the people actually playing the game. And, <laughs> right. and that just feels wrong. Now I'm firmly in the camp of things. Okay. They're not making nothing like a college education has value and not walking away from Ohio state or Stanford or Alabama or wherever, with you know six figures of debt is is you know it's not nothing but right. at the same time when i see you know every d1 football coach making two three six eight million dollars uh and you know their assistants making half million and up i mean that's pretty common now the only you know administrators we have 17 senior executive assistant associate athletic directors all making several hundred thousand dollars the only people not making any kind of money off this are the people actually doing the work right. uh, on the field. And, and that seemed wrong. So, you know, if we all sort of start from that place, this NIL thing feels like a way that we could say here, here's some money, you know, but, but we don't have to, as the university or the NCAA or anything actually have to change our business models in any <laughs> way <laughs> to let, you know, it's kind of on you to go out and make this money. Now I think, you see schools like Ohio state who are going to use it, their, their vast capabilities in marketing and branding and licensing and so on 
to help their players make more money because, and this is the important part, because that gives them a competitive advantage in recruiting and retaining talent. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you think about this as kind of like within the, within the context of employment, okay, we're not willing to say student athletes are employees, but, but if we were looking at it in this context, I think the services that a school like Ohio state, and they've had several announcements in recent weeks about firms that they've engaged with to help the student athletes with this monetization process. So these are kind of like fringe benefits, right? If you think about fringe benefits in employment context, it's it, they're benefits that you provide to attract and retain high quality talent, right? right. So the, the pay is just one piece of the puzzle. And so that's where, but this has just felt like this kind of bridge band-aid between where we are, which is students get nothing, but some future state where maybe there is a college football players association and some sort of collective bargaining agreement between the universities at the autonomy level and the student athletes. Well, so one thing you mentioned about how much administrators and coaches are getting paid. I was thinking about this. I I did the, one of the skull sessions last week and I saw kind of a news item that I was thinking of including. And I guess the, the raging Cajuns, the Louisiana tech, right. Um, they just gave their coach a big fat raise and he's going to be making north of 2 million a year. And I was like, wow, 2 million a year for law tech. That's got to be, that's got to be pretty high up there. And it's not, I, I went to the USA today coaching uh, salary database for college football coaches. And it's still in like the bottom third. It's, I was going to say 2 million is chicken feed money for college is, football coaches, right? Which is crazy. Like $2 yeah. million is not, a small amount of money in the grand scheme of things. And that puts them in like the bottom third. That's nothing. That, that's not a news item. That's not interesting. $2 million. Yeah. Nick Sam, you know, guys are making like eight, $9 million. Yeah. $2 million is couch cushion money for right. your average SEC coach. You know? Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, people may look at this and go like, Oh man, these athletes, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe he signed that with the dealership and he's going to make $30,000. People are going to lose their minds about that stuff. But they shouldn't because compared to how much both administrators and coaches and then overall programs and departments are making on a yearly basis, it's still not that much money. Ohio State, as an athletic department, made north of $200 million last fiscal year. Yeah. That, And again, obviously, you want to talk about COVID, how that's impacted things. But generally, they're making between like $180 and $200 million a year. That's a pretty large chunk of change. So for so a student athlete, real adult money. <laughs> right. So for a student athlete to be making like 35, 40, I don't even care. They're making a hundred thousand. That it is, it is still not comparable to what is being brought in from television contracts, uh, apparel contracts, merchandising, all that stuff. It, it is such a drop in the bucket. And, and that's why I think, you see things like a push towards unionization and collective bargaining and whatnot, because student athletes see this, they walk into these, uh, you know, like the athletic centers, right? The Woody Hayes athletic center, they walk in the Woody Hayes athletic center, they go into Oregon's, you know, palace where they've got all this kind of stuff going on. They go to even Northwestern where they got their practice facility on the lake. They see all this stuff and they go, we know this wasn't done for free. Right. We know it didn't just come out of the ether. It, it, it is a product of what we're doing that they have enough money to create this. And what college athletics has asked students to do for time immemorial is, 
okay, well, have have fun with that. Be happy with what we gave you, and then don't ask for anything else. And I, I think as the money is piled up, as it's become so apparent that there is such an inequality in terms of compensation, um, even the Supreme Court acknowledged it. Like we said, in Alston, that the, the disparity has just become too great to ignore. And I'm glad that DeWine was able to sign this executive order and get this thing rolling. I do think it's funny that he did specifically talk about like recruiting. This is one of his quotes. He, he, he did. Said, he, I mean, he flat out said it, you know, yeah, the governor, he said, the we, governor knows. Yeah. We need to let everybody know that Ohio is in the game. Ohio is going to stay in the game and we're moving forward and we want the best athletes to come here and to play for Ohio teams. <laughs> like that's a pitch you make. If you're a professional sports team, not necessarily if you're asking for people to go to your college athletic program, but they are, <laughs> professional that's the point that's the point this isn't this isn't the 1960s and 70s or woody hayes is working on year-to-year contracts for like 50 bucks right because he just really wants to do it i love the stories like when they cleaned out woody's desk and there's like paychecks in his desk never cashed right and woody was like like, he's not a wealthy man but he's just like yeah no he lived in the same house the same like (laughs) i mean he was in upper arlington but it wasn't like upper arlington as we know it now i mean you just he chilled in the same modest house for his entire life he didn't care but that's not that's not where we're at with college athletics and you know God to some extent I, I mean i feel like to some extent the the hubris and and opulence that you described like i think about the waterfalls and like you <laughs> yeah. go to i mean clemson has like what a water slide in their facility right. or something goofy like that i i feel like some of that obscene you know it's like the gilded age right uh, it, <laughs> that it it almost pushed this further along because what happened is you, you're making all this money, right? As a, as an athletic department, $200 million a year, let's say. And yet at the same time, you're a nonprofit organization, right? right? And, and most of these that we're talking about, these uh, P5 schools are, are public universities, right? So that, that kind of complicates things further. And then when you, when you look and say, all right, well, how do we, how do we make this wash with the taxpaying public? Oh, well, we'll say, well, we didn't actually, we didn't actually bank anything. So we spend all this money and how do we spend it? Well, we need to make sure that we can recruit the best people, but we can't just pay them. We have to do our bag man stuff under the table. We can't just be like, Hey, we'll pay you more to come to Alabama than to go to Georgia. So let's put in a water slide. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Right. What? Yeah. We've got to make the expenses match the revenues and then we'll, we'll be good. Because and we'll, and we'll be back in, so then we've in, you know, put in all of these, these palaces, these luxury dorms specifically for, you know, even though they're not quote unquote specifically for, and uh, all you got a barber shop in the athletics. And some of these things make sense because they're time saving for, the the uh, players and, and whatnot, but you spend all this money and then they could look around and say, wait a minute, if we can afford a water park in the athletic facility, can't we afford to give me a little bit of money so I can take my girlfriend out to dinner on Friday night? Right. Or at least give me the ability so that I can get my own money to do so. I mean, that's, right. Right. that's the thing. this doesn't, this doesn't cost schools a penny. Nope. This doesn't cost them any money. That's, that's what blows my mind about this. They can do this for free. And it's, it's not a problem. It's just a means of control that the NCAA was exerting over student athletes for whatever reason. And then, and they tried to justify it in front of the Supreme court and could not do so. Don't you um, that when you watch, uh, you know, lawyers, uh, going before the bar and just, yeah, just completely floundering. Yeah. It just hilarious. can't make the argument. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, 
this isn't even a situation where we're paying play. They're just, we're allowing them to make their own money, which I don't think anybody can really be reasonably against. Let the um, market work. Yeah. Just let it work and, and let them get what they want. And, and I've said this before too, that I really, it makes, I want to see what somebody on the pistol team comes up with. And if they can make some crazy deal with somebody now, they could apparently uh, under the executive order and the original legislation make some kind of deal with a gun manufacturer, not alcohol, firearms, or excuse me, not alcohol or tobacco or adult entertainment. Firearms are still allowed. That's interesting. Um, but I want, I'm curious, like a tennis player decides to do some kind of wacky thing that people get really excited about and makes a bunch of money on, um, I, you know, men's volleyball. I don't care. I want to see how creative some of these student athletes can get. Uh, when it comes to uh, monetizing their name, image, and likeness. And I, I hope it becomes something fun, right? Instead of just, you know, instead of something dour that we all just get really grumpy about, there's a lot of ways this could be really cool for the sport. And I'm excited to see in what ways creative students take it. Now, here's the question for you. What percentage of recruiting pitches this summer have focused on how much money? A 100%. Yeah. 100%. They all have. And Look, you know, we've talked about this in other dubcasts as well. I'm a little disappointed about how Ohio State has rolled this out. I, I think they have not been nearly as flashy as they could have been. But I was actually looking at even Michigan State's. Michigan State has their whole thing that they've got going. Every every single one of these colleges and universities is going to say, like, look, we may not be New York City. We may not have the largest media market in the universe, but you can be a star here in this particular town. You go to West Lafayette, you can dominate West Lafayette. Now, that's a silly recruiting pitch. I don't know how well that's going to work on a lot of guys, but that's going to be part of it. They are absolutely – every single one of these colleges and universities are going to be telling kids that they can make money where they're at. Um, and that's part of why you should go. Now, again, is that going to ring hollow for some of these places? If you're in Champaign and, and they're telling you about like the crazy, you know, fast-paced life you're going to live, you know, <laughs> making money from dealerships in Champaign, probably that's that's not going to be as advantageous as than if you live in like you know Columbus or something like that. But um, I mean, it, the it's still going to be part of it. You know, the flip side of that though is some of those players. You know, how many how many recruiting battles have we seen between Illinois and Ohio state in the last right. 20 years. Exactly. So what this does is this probably solidifies the already existing gaps between the proverbial haves and have nots. But I, but I do think though, Illinois did something really cool. I, I give shout out to them for hosting. I, I saw um, earlier today that they were hosting a, a workshop basically, or a seminar for area businesses who mm -hmm. wanted to understand what NIL meant for them. That's smart. It, yeah. And so, you know, the idea that, Hey, we're, we're helping you local business owner, figure out how to use this to your advantage. But at the same time, you know, this is a service to your current players and future recruits that, Hey, we're priming the pump for you right. to build up, you know, champagne may not be a, a top, uh, you know, 100 media market. I don't actually know what the champagne media market is, but yeah. not, not top this 100. Chicago, might, might work out. Well, you know, Northwestern is Chicago's big 10. That's team. true. I don't know if yeah. you do that or not. Uh, so they, I think the actual, that was an actual ad campaign recently. Um, so I, I just, I will find, I think that was really clever of them to do that. And I think you'll see more teams, you kind of using their relationships in the community on this particular front and yes. you know yeah it's going to be it's going to be really interesting times
Yeah, I'm just glad that they got all this done. I mean, July 1st was really kind of the deadline for all of this and and DeWine stepping in and, you know, getting it taken care of through executive order seems like the obvious solution, but maybe not one that uh, people thought, you know, maybe not the avenue that people thought it was going to take when this whole thing started, Uh, but it definitely helps out Ohio State and Ohio State student athletes. And I'm just, I'm glad it's going to get done. So that's, we'll keep monitoring that. I mean, obviously we just got a few days, literally just a few days before all of this goes down. And things are going to change really, really quickly. So we here at the Dubcast will, of course, keep an eye on that and and watch it going forward. Stay tuned. I have been following recruiting, I think, a little more closely than I typically do in the past probably couple of years since Ryan Day really established himself as the Ohio State head coach because of how unbelievably good he is continuing to be on the recruiting trail. And, and not just him, obviously, the entire um, the entire staff has just done an unbelievable job. I didn't, I was a little skeptical that he was going to be able to keep up what urban Meyer was able to do under his tenure. He seems to have been able to surpass that, which is wild to me. So the big news, the other big news that everybody was actually happy about in the past few days, uh, one big target for Ohio state, one big and by big, I mean, he's a big dude, uh, defensive end target, uh, was going to go to Alabama, canceled that visit. JT Tui Malau, um, is, is no longer going to head down to Bama. So it really does look like it's a two-team, two-program competition between Oregon, right, of local local team, right, and then Ohio State. And that would put him, Jack Sawyer, huge defensive line gets in the same class that would be unbelievable um but this is overall this is shaping up to be an unbelievable class just top to bottom it's it's wild what's going on right now and if they pull him if they pull jt i'll be pumped that'll be amazing i i keep saying you know if i were if i were a defensive line uh a defensive lineman and i had at all any interest in Ohio State as a, as an academic institution or as an athletic program. I mean, not every recruit is interested in Ohio State for whatever reason. That, you know, that always baffles me. But not every recruit is going to be seriously considering Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're just not interested in the Midwest. Maybe they're godless heathens. You know, I, I don't know. But they're they're not interested in Ohio State. But if you are at all considering Ohio State and you are a player of the defensive line position, why wouldn't you? come to Ohio state. When you look at the incredible success that Larry Johnson has had, not only developing the best defensive linemen in college, but putting them into the league where they are also successful. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's not, I, I get like, if you're a, a quarterback recruit and you're like, well, Ohio state puts a lot of quarterbacks into the, into the league yet, but I'm still waiting on to see one of them, you know, show out at the, the highest level. That's not the case with Larry Johnson's defensive line recruits they do extremely well so you know when you when you look at a guy like you know the jt and i, I swear i know i'm going to butcher this but to him you're going to you're going to look at ohio state and if you're canceling the alabama visit like that's the program you were worried about if you're an ohio right. state fan right so if you're canceling that alabama visit you know to me it's a slam dunk i, I realize he's still considering as you said oregon but uh, you know the writing the writing looks pretty good on the wall to me if you're if you're not even going to talk to Saban then you know that bodes well for the good guys I would think it absolutely does and I will also say 
it's fun watching his highlights, particularly, you know, on 24-7, they've got the, you know, highlight reel front and center. That one's hilarious because he makes this unbelievable play over this. <laughs> the ball carrier just runs into him and he literally just one-handed knocks the guy to the ground and makes him fumble the ball. And uh, he thinks that the play's over, so he starts going over to his bench and flex and whatnot, which is hilarious because <laughs> it's not over. Play's still going on. Oh, you got to keep your head in the game, man. I don't know if this guy's at Ohio State. I'm like, please, he's the five-star. He's unbelievable. He'd be an incredible addition to any yeah, team. he's legit. He, and he also plays a little bit of tight end, which is great. Um, he has really good hands, and it's kind of hard to tell based on the type of competition that you're going to get at that level in Oregon. It's not the best overall football state. But what he's able to do against pretty much all comers is really impressive. And he's he's legit. I, I know anybody listening to this isn't going to be surprised by that, but an absolute stud of a player. And I agree with you, man. If you're thinking about your future, if you're thinking about what you can benefit from in terms of you know education, in terms of learning the, the craft of being a defensive lineman, you, you can't really do much better than Ohio State. So well, I'm, I'm I, glad you put it that way. You talk about the craft because one of the things I I think about with Larry Johnson is just the, the quality of teaching. You know, yeah, coaching. I mean, one of the most important aspects of coaching is teaching, right? It's it, it's not just you know calling the plays and that sort of thing. It's you know the teaching aspect of it. I think is what's so important. And I mean, Larry Johnson. Just you, you watch watching clips of him teaching guys how to use their hands. You know, you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, his hands in terms of his, his ability to catch the ball, uh, his great hands. But one of one of the successes of uh, Ohio State's defensive linemen, particularly pass rushers, is you watch how violent they are with their hands and the, the hand technique. It's really incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm convinced Johnson teaches that better than anybody in the business just because it's consistently a strength of the guys he produces through the program. Right. Uh, so, you know, when you're talking about that quality of an instruction, the learning, the craft, as you put it, yeah, I, I just that's I, and I hope he coaches forever. I yeah, I they're not bull rushers. Coaches. They're no, not bull not rushers coming to Ohio State. These are guys who are really, really well versed in the finer points of being. And, and you know, they say a defensive lineman that's that's the least technical position. It's only the least technical position if you want it to be the least technical position. If you want to try to be like Vernon Golson and just overpower everybody and then get to the NFL and have no idea what you're doing, that's fine. You're going to get a first round evaluation and get a butt ton of money, but you may not last super long guy like Larry Johnson can show somebody the skills that they need to last at that next level, because they're not, you know, guys like the Bosa's and chase young and all they're they're going in at a really, really high skill level um, to the NFL. And you can see that right away. I mean, they're making instant impacts as rookies because I think they're a lot more advanced than some of their contemporaries coming out of the NFL draft. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's hard to tell from a layman's perspective, exactly what's going on sometimes when it's so quick, right? When, when, when plays happen so quickly, when the players are playing so fast, you don't really know exactly what's happening. And, and maybe that's why it's so apparent that Larry Johnson is so good at his job because you can have a guy come in with no kind of NFL and, and make an instant impact in the way that Chase Young and the Boses did immediately. So, I'm excited for that. I'm excited uh, for all the guys coming in, but it's just been a joy to watch defensive line play and, and see how it's been going down at Ohio State because it really is. They're just technically incredibly well-skilled. Just it, It's it's fun to watch. 
Um, couple other things I want to hit before we get to ask us anything. We've got obviously uh, basket bucks. We've got Dwayne Washington, EJ Liddell kicking it, uh, trying to make the NBA, seeing what that's going to look like for them. Obviously, they're not, you know, having to make any decisions quite yet. Looks like Dwayne Washington is going to a lot of love right now, kind of, you know, checking out the combine and doing what he's doing. Um, I was a little surprised that he is doing as well as he does. I, I think his his handles were just super loose last season. I was kind of like, I don't, I, I think maybe he'll get pressured and guys will kind of maybe eat him alive a little bit. I, I, I didn't think he was going to do super well in a, a combine type situation, but he's, he's done really, really well. It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do. Uh, EJ Liddell, maybe not so much. And, and maybe he's a guy that we have coming back. Uh, and that would be really helpful for Holtman and company. But how do you feel about this? Where, If you were to project it out right now, Andy, how would you say uh, Liddell and Washington decide to, to go with this? Yeah, I mean, I've been sitting here under the assumption that when, when Dwayne Washington got invited to the Combine, that that's all she wrote, that he's he gone. You know, Because yeah. it's felt like to me that he wants to go. Like, he wants to be in the league. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to be at Ohio State. I, I don't necessarily mean that, but right, just that this is a guy, and and, and they all want to get to the league. I, I, I know. They're all, all get to the NBA. I, I know that. But, you know, you just have a feeling that sometimes guys really want to go, and mm-hmm. he just has felt like a guy, more so than Liddell. Like, I, so, so if I were calling you today, I would say, you know, Dwayne's gone and Liddell's back. That's kind of how I've been assuming it would, and, and I don't have that I mean, you know, I'm not talking to these guys, obviously. So this is all just you know, from reading coverage of uh, the 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 astute Colin Hans Hill and uh, Dan Hope and the rest of the beat crew. Like that's just just kind of the sense you get from reading the coverage. Um, how does that square with what what you're thinking? Yeah, I would agree with that. And like I said, I was surprised by that. I, I didn't think that Washington would do as well as he did. I thought he would get kind of a, a splash of cold water and, and go, okay, well, maybe I need a little bit more development. But I would agree with you. I think that's that's pretty much the way it's looking. And, you know, it'll be sucked. It'll suck to, to see uh, Dwayne leaving because of what he could mean um, to the offense when he was on. I mean, he was an incredibly impactful player. Uh, at times and and you know the best player on the on the court for a lot of the a lot of the season it just depended on whether he was you know keep taking care of the ball or not um but Liddell coming back would be a huge boost and uh, I I agree with you I think that's pretty much how it will shake out the other thing that I want to mention real quick Ohio State Olympians we've got I I think I you know I've been watching all of the trials been watching the gymnastics track and field I watch swimming all of this great stuff I love the fact that we've got so many different Ohio State athletes who are not just, um, you know, having a lot of success and making the uh, the Olympics, but in a lot of different fields. You know what I mean? It's, you know, you've got like, you know, you've got swimmers and you've got runners and all these other. I, I just I, I love watching that. That's a lot of fun to me. Um, last night, I know that we had. Uh, uh, <laughs> well. I was I was <laughs> I was going through the uh, the list of of uh, Ohio State athletes who are going through. I do appreciate Christina Clemens Doritos earrings. I thought that was pretty great. That was a lot of fun. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. I also like the fact you know Alec Yoder made it on the gymnastics team as a specialist. That's pretty cool. Uh, Anavia Battle um, made the team uh, in the two hundred meters, which is that's a big one. Two hundred meters is a super super competitive 
event in track and field, especially in the United States. That that is a an event that Americans really, really want to have a big impact on the Olympics. And and, and you know, Allison Felix, for example, is longtime dominant in that uh, particular event. Um, so for her, for Battle to be able to make that team is really awesome. Um, she's got a chance on a medal. That'll be fun to watch. So I, I am just really excited to see all these Buckeyes in the Olympics. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Buckeye alumni uh, Kyle Snyder, who will be representing Team USA again yes. in Tokyo at 97 kilos. Um, would would one would hope that we see a rematch of of Snyder Sedulayev? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if that happens again, how be... do you think that would go in 2021? <laughs> you know, he got skunked last time that I. I last time they met up it was it was pretty one-sided i believe is that i mean i think if you were going to bet the farm you know you would you would you would probably say that the smart money would be on sagulai just because uh you know he 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 did he put it on him that said i'll be damned if i'm ever going to bet against captain america Mm -hmm. uh not going to happen on my watch you know i if 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 anybody in the world can beat sagulai it's kyle frederick snyder uh he you know i i don't love that he's not training at the ohio regional training center anymore uh that 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 will always bother me a little that said you know i get it uh you know i get i get what he was trying to do what he was trying to accomplish i don't think he needed to do it but um i just i will never bet against him the guy is too good he just has too many gifts he works too hard he trains too hard um to to see me bet against him that that said i mean sedulayev may be the greatest 97 kilogram wrestler in the history of the sport i I, you know i don't know he's just really really good it'll be a fun match to watch regardless and 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 snyder has beaten him before it's it's he has i mean let's yeah let's not sell the man short you know and and snyder's still the youngest uh gold medal winner in usa wrestling history um you know his his gold medal performance in rio you know was was pretty legendary because here in something like an 18 month span he wins the world championship an ncaa championship an olympic gold medal you know it's very few people have ever accomplished that particular trifecta let alone you know before their 20th birthday i think and before you know in in a span of like 18 months it's just really really it's pretty wild yeah really incredible what he's accomplished um so I'm excited to see him back out on the mat again, representing team USA. And I, I, I'm glad that wrestling is happening at the Olympics again. You know, there was a time where wrestling was on the way out, which is yeah. kind of like the original Olympic sport. Right. That's absurd but, to me. That, that yeah. would be a crime if that ever happened. I, I can't believe they even, Hey, hey we were a hair's breadth from it being a thing. I know. It took like it took like a a, camp, a campaign like they had to really yes. really get on the IOC about that. Yes, it was. Um, I mean, it was this close, this close. Yeah, that would so. have been absolutely criminal. I would have hated that. Um, so anyway, congratulations to all the Ohio State Olympians, and we'll have a lot of fun watching you in Tokyo. And we also want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. It's summer. It's hot. Get yourself a shirt and then sweat through it and then get another shirt. So that'll be good. Um, Let's do some Ask Us Anything. You can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. This one is from Matt in Minneapolis. And uh, he wants to take us back a little bit to the NIL stuff. Is it sour grapes to complain that it has taken this long for NIL to be on the table and for SCOTUS to rule nine to zero in Alston? 
that uh, was a, a case that we mentioned a few weeks ago. We were talking about uh, basically how the NCAA can't limit educational benefits uh, given um, by the, uh, the member organizations, the member universities within the NCAA. I outlined these and many other issues in the NCAA member institution relationship and a published law and economics long paper in 2006, basically called out what would happen to Terrell Pryor, Devere Posey at all before it actually happened and how it would be, uh, to use a Stuart Scott term, a Travis Schimachery. Um, <laughs> no, it's not sour grapes. It's not sour grapes at all. Look, we, we expect, we rely on the institutions of our government to anticipate issues like this and then to react to them and then to do something beneficial for society. That's the whole point. That is the social contract that we have established. We say we give up this ability to do whatever the hell we want for governance and then hope that the people who are involved in that governance will then be, you know, on top of it enough, have enough foresight to then go, okay, well, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. So let's take care of it. And the fact that this is something that you, Matt, were so obviously able to call out years before it even impacted Ohio State, right, in 2010, 2011, uh, that it's something the NCAA should have seen coming well before that, especially given history of things like, you know, SMU and whatnot going back into the 80s and 70s and whatnot. So, no, it's not sour grapes. It's stupid that they weren't able to get on top of this much, much earlier, and it's insulting that you had a solution that was then blown up at the last second because of hubris and stupidity. So no, it's not sour grapes. I'm That's my opinion. Si- I'm, I'm just a simple unfrozen caveman lawyer. Your ways are strange and frightening. <laughs> uh maybe there will be 10 or 15 people who get that reference r.i.p phil hartman <laughs> God, so good greatest ever do it uh i so on that tangent favorite snl cast member of all time he's yes i'm gonna say yes actually i mean yes. he's i mean he's right up there for me i mean there are yeah, a few really top great two or ones, three right? easy but probably the yes probably my favorite i mean i mean i love chevy chase you know uh yeah there's some greats but hartman just so good they called him you know what you know what his nickname was on snl by the way no i have no idea it was the glue because the idea was that he could make any sketch like work like it when it when any kind of sketch was falling apart like make sure phil's in there because they'll hold it together because there's because he can do everything perfectly there is nothing that he cannot do and if it seems a little wonky seems a little weird he will nail it every single time and it will be hilarious every single time because he's a genius i mean i've been wanting to go back and watch the monorail episode ever since you referenced the simpsons (laughs) earlier in the program lyle landley that's lyle high watermark i mean that was so that episode was just i mean that was brilliant by Uh, the way i know we're getting off track shout out to probably my biggest inspiration in terms of comedy. If people enjoy my writing, I, I know my 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 talking is a little sketchy sometimes. But I, <laughs> I, I enjoy, I think I can occasionally write a thing or two. Yes. If, if people enjoy my writing and they enjoy some of the jokes or the humor that I bring in the writing, you have to 100,000% credit, almost entirely, really, Conan O'Brien for giving that sensibility to me, either through the Simpsons or his late night show or anything else, because that is 100% Conan O'Brien, the Simpsons in general, mystery science here, 3000. Those are my biggest comedic or absurdist influences as a writer. Conan O'Brien, you know, ended his his talk show last week. uh, Also wrote the monorail episode that you're referring to. Better, better, Better writer or, or, or better, 
on camera. I mean, like, that's a great debate to me, you know, was, uh, was Conan better as a writer or better at, you know, like that's, you could get down and have a good old fashioned debate over that because he's such a brilliant writer. When you look, I mean, of, look at the monorail episode as a perfect example. Yeah. That's an extremely well-written, I mean, extremely well-written episode. It's brilliant. Yeah. In terms of like absurdity and understanding he talks about this actually, I think, in like his final monologue that he had on the show, like the the intersection between like funny and stupid, or like smart and stupid, or whatever it was, that that defined the absurdity in life, and then being able to balloon it to the point of satire is incredibly difficult to do. It, it's so hard to do without just being silly or trite or weird or whatever. And it, it was deeply weird but it spoke to something authentic and that's what makes it so brilliant is that anybody can connect to that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say just as a writer, his value was the fact that he, he found, he himself had a great sense for the absurd, but he also found other writers on his show who had an unbelievable sense of the absurd. Um, and I also really enjoy the fact that Conan Bryan and also, again, the writers that he hired, like Stack and Smigel and whatnot, uh, also really love like old timey, like 1930s tropes. Yep. So like, you know, hobos with bindles and people <laughs> like door to door traveling salesmen and radio guys, you know, crooners from the 30s and 40s. I just I love the fact that that was like their their what's the word like Molo? I don't know. They're, they're niche. The, the place, the thing that they love to exploit for comedy. I just thought that was hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, they, now that you've mentioned the guy like, crooners and things, that's another, another one of my favorite Simpsons episodes. I, I don't remember what was it. I don't remember if it was called baby on board or what it was called, but it was the episode where they have the barbershop quartet. Yeah. The, Homer's the, barbershop quartet. Yeah. The, the B sharps. sharps. Yeah. Which, uh, they were so good there, but their song was baby on board. Right. right. Yes. I mean, that was such a fantastic episode. Who all, so who, who were the four? So it was Homer, Barney. It was Homer, Barney, uh, Apu, and, and uh, Mr. Skinner. And, and, Mr. Skinner yeah. and the best part was is that Chief Wiggum was initially on it and <laughs> right. then he got kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tried to weasel his way back on and then it didn't work out. So there's so many little Barney like was such a great, Barney was such a great singer. And uh, my favorite part is he's singing this Irish, yes, this Irish thing in the was toilet, he doing like Danny Boy or something. But he's yeah, just... <laughs> and then he's he, while he's crawling on the floor of the toilet, and he goes, "Now where's me toothpick?" And he's like searching for this toothpick <laughs> that he dropped in the floor. Oh my god, that was such a great! I, I just the, them singing the the name of the B sharps. Oh, it just that tickles. Yeah, me we so need much. we need a name that sounds clever at first, but then gets more irritating every time that it's repeated. And then and they say, "How about the B sharps?" And they laugh, and then they say, "The B sharps, yes, the B sharps, the B sharps." <laughs> so good, I love it. And there's so many. I mean, this is one of the things. And I'll admit that I have not, you know, after season, I don't know, six, seven, eight. I'm not sure. I I was no longer watching it religiously every week. Yeah. Um, but some of those classic episodes from the first half a dozen and the number of like instantly recognizable memes or, or things that have come out of that. So I'll always um, get a kick out of and laugh every time I think about it is, is Ralph Wiggum. So you mentioned the chief. This made me think of mm -hmm. Ralph on Valentine's day, you know, giving, giving yeah. Lisa the Valentine with the train. He says, it says I choo choo choose you right. and it's got a train. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it cracks me up. Or or the time that Ralph, I don't remember what it was, but he says, 
I eat the purple berries. It tastes <laughs> like burning. <laughs> well, and the best part about that joke is that's when they're stranded on the island. And... Is that what they're doing? Like the Lord of the Flies? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. They're making yeah. a Lord of the Flies parody. <laughs> and and Ralph is like holding his stomach. He's clutching and moaning. And the best part about that joke is Bart going, How do they taste, Ralph? Good. <laughs> he's like clearly in pain. <laughs> And not having a good time. It tastes like burning. Yeah, it's fantastic. The oh, show's great. The other, one, the other one, let's see. Uh, Ralph says, me fail English? That's impossible. <laughs> yeah, he's just a one-liner machine. Oh, yeah. Like, so many good lines. But yeah. but Phil Hartman is Lyle Landley. Lyle Sing Landley, Lionel song. Hutz. Lionel, oh, yeah, Lionel. All this so stuff is good. Lionel Hutz. Uh <laughs> Where he's hired as the babysitter for Bart and Lisa, and he falls asleep on the couch, and they wake him up, and he instantly snaps awake, and he like shoves a knife in their face. He says, "Don't touch my stuff." <laughs> he's like, "Wait a minute, this isn't the YMCA." <laughs> um, yeah, he was just, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't forget Troy McClure. I mean, it's... you may remember me from such classics as. <laughs> When I say when I say he slept with the fishes, that's I I, mean, I don't mean he's dead. Um. <laughs> anyway, I could talk about the Simpsons all day. Yeah, I do think it's so weird good. that well over two thirds of the series now is is pretty much garbage. But uh, that did form a huge uh, huge part of my childhood and 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 influenced my writing and sense of uh, humor. But another question we have here, this is from Kieran. Uh, what are our favorite vacation spots, Andy? let's let's do top top two or three how about that what what are our favorites that we yeah I, i've got a, i've got a couple faves so favorite uh just like if i if i wanted to go and, and get away you said the stunning mrs vance and i maybe and and we would go back to san diego so we got married on coronado uh which if you've never been to san diego you know coronado is, is an island out there there's naval air mm -hmm. station coronado is there navy seals train there but the island itself um is just absolutely gorgeous so aside from the um the marine base there and the navy base there uh, there's a classic old school hotel called the hotel del uh, coronado and the hotel del i've never stayed there but we got married on the beach in front of it and we just coronado is kind of like this little town um, you know, San Diego, of course, is a huge, big, bustling city, but the island itself right. is, almost feels like a small town. Like you go downtown, you just walk everywhere. There's, you know, the Coronado Brewing Company. I don't know if it's still there. Half of these places may be closed because we haven't been for probably four years and with, with COVID and such. But it was this great little brew pub kind of deal. You go and get a fantastic burger. Their beers were good. Um, you know, just lots of great food. Of course, it's right there on the ocean. So a lot of great seafood. Um, several good resorts to say the hotel Dell is the classic one. You should probably win the Powerball before you go to try to stay there. Um, but we stayed at the Lowe's Coronado, which was just kind of down the, the strand aways it's Southern California. So, you know, the weather is always gorgeous. Um, mm -hmm. we, we went in late February. It's when we got married and you know, it was, it, you, you wouldn't necessarily want to swim in the ocean every day. It was a little chilly. Some days we did go out and play in the surf a bit. But just, you know, beautiful weather. So if I was just going to go back there with, you know, Honeybee and me and, you know, go and wanted to relax and kick it, I'd go back to San Diego in a heartbeat. And the rest of the city is fantastic as well. The San Diego Zoo is absolutely incredible. It's stunning. 
so much of it is due to the unique topography, the where they've built the zoo in Balboa Park. I mean, it's so up and down. It's kind of like built in a canyon almost. I don't know how else to describe it, or in a in a valley. So very, very different from my own beloved Columbus Zoo, which I think is also <laughs> one of the best zoos on the planet. Um, so big, big fan of San Diego. If I'm going with the family, so if we're taking the little tyke, uh, I am such a junkie uh, to go to Walt Disney World. And okay. we, we, we love it there. It really is the happiest place on earth. I know it's not everybody's tempo, but uh, I didn't get to go as a kid. We, we, you know, we went on very few vacations as a kid. Most of our vacation was like the county fair, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe state fair. I remember one year uh, we loaded up the four of us and grandma and we went to Amish country, you know, Berlin, Ohio, Holmes nice. County area. Um, I remember I kind of look back on it now and laugh. There's like five of us in uh, a two bed room at the days Inn in Berlin. <laughs> it's like, this is really living, you know, but we didn't have much when we were kids. So that's, you know, vacation wasn't something that we did every summer, you know, we, but we were very fortunate that we grew up on the farm. So you were out kind of in the country, wide open spaces, lots of sun and, and, and all that every summer anyway. So we were very fortunate. So I didn't go to Walt Disney world until we took my daughter the first time. And I would just, I will tell my dying day, remember and get choked up a little about it. she's sitting on my shoulders. We're right there on main street, kind of, uh, you know, as you come in the front gate of the magic kingdom and you can see Cinderella's castle. So we're right there along that street and they're doing the electric light parade, uh, at twilight, the first night we're there. And the first float comes through and my daughter is just vibrating on my shoulders and she says, <laughs> daddy, it's Mickey and Minnie. And you can just hear the electricity in her voice. And I'm like tearing up because she's so excited to see Mickey and Minnie. And it's like, this was so worth it just, just to be there and, you know, experience that through a child's eyes. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things for mom and dad too, right? Like Epcot's a ball, uh, you know, yeah. you go and eat and drink your way around Epcot. And that's, that's a lot of fun in, in its own. Oh, right. I thought you meant like literally like Epcot is a ball. <laughs> yes. Yes. That too. <laughs> <laughs> I did that ride twice. It's very interesting. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, you, you again, you know, maybe try to win the Powerball before you go because there's, no doubt that it is obscenely expensive. Um, but yeah, those would be my two picks. Okay. Uh, I, where, so where are you going? I, it's interesting because I'm a, definitely a guy who really gets into the historical aspect of a place and the cultural aspect of a place. Like I love going to museums and whatnot. You know, I've been to Washington DC many times and I love going to Smithsonian and checking out the Supreme court or going to the archives, all that kind of stuff. I love that. Um, but I, I don't know, I don't know if I would put that in like my favorite vacation spots to me, that almost feels like a business trip, if that makes sense. I mean, I um, think there's a difference between a vacation and a family trip, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, vacation I would, sort I of impl that. implies that you're going to go and prop your feet up or, you know, just in, enjoy my ties. Like right. I think about, I, cause I'm like you, I love to go, we're going to take a family trip to Washington DC so that yeah. we can go and do all those things with a right. little tyke. I, I don't know that I will think of that as a vacation. Right. I agree with that. And so I'm going to leave those types of experiences out because, you know, I've been to Gettysburg a couple of times, you know, some Gettysburg of my favorite. is absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, I loved going there as a kid. I had so much fun there, but I, I don't know that I would say that's like a destination spot that I would really check out. The two that I'll say that I have enjoyed and, and really, really, really loved recently, um, 
we so my wife and i went uh for her 30th birthday a few years ago we went to um uh, frankfurt michigan which is kind of this nice little quiet town on on lake michigan and it's just this beautiful quaint little place we were literally you know five minute walk from the lake which might as well be an ocean um we went horseback riding one day we went to the dunes the sleeping bear dunes the another day which was incredible we just chilled out by this nice lighthouse and peninsula and you know had you know flew kites one day it was just a really really fun experience super chill super laid back awesome awesome location really nice in the summer it wasn't like blazingly hot you get the breeze coming off the lake it was just a lot of fun i really really enjoyed that um, that, that would be a good, like kind of relaxation vacation kind of thing. And then, uh, for honeymoon, um, we went, part of it was in Italy where we went to Florence, which was incredible and went to Tuscany and, and, you know, went around there and I'm not going to take anything away from those experiences because it was a great Lake Como. We were there for a couple of days. That was awesome. Uh, but the few days that we were in Switzerland by the Matterhorn in Zermatt was, I have like, I love mountains. I adore mountains. I used to live there around mountains when I was in Japan and I, I was so sad. <laughs> one, of, one of the biggest things that I was sad about coming back to Ohio was like, Oh man, I love Ohio, but it's, it's so flat. And I had been wanting to see big, huge mountains uh, for a long time. And you know, the Matterhorn and the Alps is just one of those experiences you got to have. And so we took this, uh, there's this train, you got to pay like a hundred bucks to get on this train, but it's, it's actually worth every penny and might actually be, you know, something that you would pay more for to do this. But you take this train in Zermatt and you go up the mountains to Gornergrat where it's this overlook of like the glacier and um, uh, the Matterhorn and whatnot. And the day or so that we spent just kind of like traipsing around that area was, I, I cannot explain. It, it looks like every dream that you've ever had about being in the mountains. And it, it's just one of the most in, insane, intense nature experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Um, and it's, I would pay an infinite amount of money to be able to go back and just chill there. And so when we got down the mountain, right, we, our hotel room was facing the Matterhorn. So I had a perfect view of the Matterhorn. I'm sitting on our balcony. I'm reading Lord of the Rings while they're, like the bells are pealing in the in the uh, in the cathedral in the town. I'm reading Lord of the Rings. I'm I'm sipping a little bit of water. It, it was just freaking fantastic, and that that was an experience I don't think I'll ever be able to replicate in my life. Um, so I will definitely I will definitely vouch for Zermatt again. Like Disney World, incredibly expensive, <laughs> prohibitively expensive. But uh, still a pretty freaking amazing experience. Now, so. I have to, I have to give you know now since you mentioned Switzerland, so you know, and I mentioned we didn't go on a lot of vacations when we were kids, but I I got to give my parents so much credit. So in the the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was invited to join this um, marching band. It was called the Spirit of American National Honor Band, and mm -hmm. uh, I played the sousaphone. And, and no, I didn't. I, I didn't. Uh, Joined the marching band when I went to Ohio State, much to my everlasting regret, because I, I would have been uh, a potential future eye daughter because nice. of the instrument that I played, and so I, I will I will sort of regret that. But th this um, marching band, Spirit of American National Honor Band, was touring um, Europe. We went to Europe for about three weeks and did like eight countries, kind of your classic European tour, right? Like mm -hmm. Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, Belgium, Switzerland, Germany, France, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, so we did Amsterdam as well, the, the Netherlands. Uh, I'm trying to think where else. There were like eight countries. Anyway, 
And it was, you know, fairly expensive, right? Send your kid to Europe for three weeks. And, you know, it was, it was a big thing, but we figured out how to make it work. You know, mom and dad, uh, I, I did a lot of fundraising in the community, wrote some letters to local businesses, where they be willing to sponsor my trip and all that sort awesome. of thing. And so then I went back um, a second time when I was in college, was invited to go back again. And, you know, if you've never been to kind of what I'll call the old world there, you know, the, the classic European tour, you really should go. It's a, it's beautiful. And, and the geography is so unlike the topography is so unlike where you and I come from. Right. Um, and, and not that we don't I mean, have it's hilly in Southwest. Like, you know, yeah, you right, 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 right. So, yeah. You know, Southeastern Ohio, um, be, beautiful country, beautiful countryside. Yeah. You know, the, the stunning Mrs. Vance comes from West Virginia. You know, there, there's some beautiful countryside Absolutely. In, in West Virginia. You can drive out, you know, find the mountainous regions and, and certainly you go to the Rockies and, you know, there's beautiful mountains in, in this country, but I just find these, the mountain towns that you were describing. So we went to uh, Innsbruck, Austria is a, is a great mm. example. Austria was a beautiful country. Innsbruck, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger spent a lot of his time. I think he might've been from Innsbruck, but uh, that's sort of the region that he grew up in. And you're kind of down in the valley of this big mountain range when you're in Innsbruck. Um, went to Heidelberg, Germany, you know, great, great old city. Um, but, but Switzerland in particular really struck me. Went to, you know, Grindelwald and, um, Interlaken. And uh, the, the best thing I remember was doing the 4th of July in Geneva, Switzerland. So there's like an American club of Geneva where, you know, the expats, I guess, get together and, and I don't know, grill or something. And we were invited to play because most of our repertoire, as you might imagine, being called the spirit of America was, was kind of patriotic numbers right. or like classic Americana. Philip Sousa, all that kind of stuff. Did some Sousa did, but we also did like some George Gershwin. I mean, just sort of like some classic Americana type stuff. Right. Um, and so we were invited to play the 4th of July festival for the American club of Geneva. And so you're right there on the shores of Lake Geneva, you know, kind of the lake in the background of the mountains. Uh, it, it was just sort of a really powerful uh, experience to be playing beautiful music in that setting. And the locals loved it. We were so welcomed everywhere we went. Like you sort of have this impression that the Europeans are, are going to be, um, you know, kind of, you know, turn their nose up at the, the, the ignorant, arrogant Americans. I, that was not my experience at all. Aside from one really grumpy Austrian ice cream shop um, <laughs> guy who was hell bent for leather that we were going to pronounce raspberry in German. Okay. Um, like aside from that one experience, I found the Europeans to be tremendously uh, welcoming and inviting and everybody spoke English. You know, we're so monolingual. Oh, right. Yeah. The Swiss, the Swiss all speak like six languages. It was crazy because they speak Italian and they speak German and they speak French and they speak English and so on. Right. And most half of them speak Spanish. So, you know, it just, it was a really great experience. And so, yeah, I would, I would second Switzerland or, or Germany um, going to Castle to Schwanstein in Germany. If you've never, been there into the black forest region of germany uh so that's the castle walt disney used as his inspiration for cinderella's castle at the magic kingdom is is neschwanstein so up on this beautiful mountain you climb like two miles up the side of this bloody mountain um you could pay the guy to cart you up there in the horse but there were like 200 of us in the tour group <laughs> so you know <laughs> start walking teenager and it was uh it was just really breathtaking so yeah shout out to shout out to those places i would second by the way your comments about Gettysburg also, you know, for not, not a vacation per se, but for a family trip, that's really worth it. They do a tremendous job there of, of telling the story. Yeah. Um, so many good, so many good resources there. Uh, the other thing that was really neat. So we went for the 150th 
um, anniversary of the battle. Oh, so wow. That was something that, so the stunning Mrs. Vance and, and her late father were big um, civil war buffs, I guess, I guess you would say. And so we've been to quite a lot of the battlefields, not all by any stretch. I don't even know if we've been to half, but they've been to quite a lot. Mostly the ones, you know, sort of within a day's drive or so of, of Ohio and West Virginia, which is quite a lot of them, obviously. Um, but went to, Gettysburg, she had marked on her calendar for years that we would go to the sesquicentennial. And that that was really special to you know, because they did a nice job putting on quite a lot of programs and the living history kind of programs. They've done right. so much to to save some of the I remember the one place, I can't remember what the name of the farm was, but they'd you know saved this barn that was a field hospital um, mm-hmm. for the Union Army. So that was really kind of cool to go through and they had kind of a little living history thing there. And um, yeah, so very very, very neat. And, and our daughter was, let's see, she was born in February. That's July. So she's what, six months old um, when we took her there. So we, we kind of chuckle. We said, well, in 25 years, she can go back for the 175th and say, well, that's <laughs> centennial, you know, yeah, too. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good plan. Um, yeah. Gettysburg is, is legit. Um, and the fact that they've been able to preserve, obviously it's, you know, it's the most significant in terms of casualties and whatnot but also in terms of probably uh connecting the civil war with our culture psychologically and, and culturally I, it's 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 significant and it's unfortunate that other um that other battlefields that are also very significant haven't been in, as preserved as well um yeah, we've but, been to antietam when it, like she, now she's been to a lot more of them than i have she and i right. together have been we've been to antietam and we've been to manassas um and you know manassas was very nice they'd done a nice job with it there's just not there's a lot more and maybe it's because just the way the town is you know the center of the town of gettysburg embraces Mm -hmm. the what do you want to say the tourism part of it i guess sure um and i didn't get that quite same vibe out of manassas um i don't even remember where the heck we went to antietam the one that was kind of a bummer is we were going to go to the the 150th anniversary at Appomattox Courthouse. Oh wow! And and ended up having to cancel that that trip. Um, but that one is out in the middle of nowhere. You know, right. Gettysburg. Yes. Gettysburg. There's quite a little developed town there. Manassas is is a very busy town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, Appomattox I imagine Appomattox Courthouse out not- in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, last question here we have real quick. This is from our good friend Alvin. Um, Alvin. What is one phrase or saying that someone, mother, teacher, friend, etc., uh, said to you when you were young that has stuck with you until <laughs> today? Uh, you sound like you've got one right off the top of your well, head. Well, I, I, I probably even have told this one on the show before. I don't know why. My grandmother, Grandma Vance, um, I spent a lot of time with Grandma growing up. So we we grew up at the home farm. My wife and I are very blessed to own the home farm still. We don't live there. Dad and little brother live there. Little brother farms that dad lives there in the house I grew up in, but, but grandma's house was basically, you know, the other side of the pasture from the house I grew up in. And so, and, and not only that, but grandma was our school bus driver as well. So nice. you kind of, you, you, you saw grandma first thing in the morning at breakfast, cause she would stop by the house, you know, have a cup of coffee with my dad. We'd get on the school bus and we'd be with her all morning until we got to school. You'd be with her after school when you got off the school bus. Um, and then we did quite a lot of things together there on the farm. So we were cutting firewood every weekend. We had a lot of family, you know, meals and get togethers. We're at grandmother's house and we would just hop on the four wheeler. A lot of years they called grandma's house, the coffee shop, because, you know, everybody would just kind of converge and sit around the, 
the counter on bar stools at grandma's house and have coffee. And that could be in the morning. That could be in the afternoon. It could be in the evening. You just stop in and get a cup of coffee and talk with grandma. Mm -hmm. So grandma had a wealth of these sayings and, and many of them, I don't even know that I've realized that I have adopted into my own usage, but the one that always cracks me up that I still say, and you know, there's two of them actually that I think of that I still say that I imagine the average person's like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> one of which is grandma would say that, uh, that it was colder than Billy be damned. And I don't know who Billy be damned was, but, but you know, he was apparently pretty cold because you'd be talking about the weather outside and ground. So that's colder than Billy be damned out there. You know, and the other one was, uh, something, uh, if you had a large quantity of something, you know, you'd say, uh, let's say I have a lot of books, you know, say, well, Andy's got more books than Carter's got liver pills. <laughs> I don't know how many liver pills Gar Carter had, but apparently it was quite a lot of them. Yeah, sounds like a lot. Yeah, yeah. So those those were a couple couple of phrases of grandmothers that have stuck with me for many many years. I guess the other one that's not a grandmaism that I use quite a lot is uh, there's a story. So when we were kids, Dad managed a farm for uh, the Beam family in in uh, Fayette County, and and Mark and Barb Beam were uh, some of and and Miss Barb still is some of the most amazing, kind, wonderful people I have ever had the privilege of knowing. Uh, Mark Mark and Barb were a very important part of my my life um, growing up because we were on their farm. Uh, as much or more as we were on the home farm, his dad was managing their crop operations and, and their, their beef cattle feedlot that then later on was a, was a hog operation. And there was a story. I, I love to tell the story. So they had three boys and, and the, the middle son took dad's new suburban. And so mind you, this would have been like the mid eighties. Right. And, and the Beam family also owned a, a stone quarry, limestone quarry. So if you ever been to a limestone quarry, it's, it's a big hole in the ground, you know, and you've, you've basically dynamited, gravel and you you know then take these great big giant end loaders and you bucket it out of there and you sell the gravel so there is a big hole in the ground and well if you have a big hole in the ground eventually it fills up with water so so one son takes the new suburban kind of baja and out through the limestone quarry and he thinks he's going through a puddle and puts this suburban nose into this pit oh nose down you know, like kind of looks like at the Cadillac Ranch where the vehicles are stuck nose into the ground and ass end up in the air, right? Jeez. So, you know, number one, he could have been killed. Fortunately, he walks away, not a scratch on him. But this Suburban is totaled, right? Like they've got to bring in the big end loaders and like pull this thing out of there. Um, and you know, if that had happened to me, I'm not sure I would have lived. Dad, you know, if I had, if I had crashed a new car in the stone quarry, Dad might have killed me. I, yeah. I'm not sure. It would have been not a happy day for me. And Mr. Beam, who, as I said, was maybe one of the, the kindest human beings I, I ever met, said, well, if that's the worst thing that ever happens, we'll be okay. <laughs> and I just think that is such a powerful way to look at life. You know, that most of the things we think are problems really aren't that big a deal. Yeah. You know, if you think of most of the things like, I come home from work and I've had a stressful day. At the end of the day, I still got a roof over my head and food in the larder. You know, I don't have any real problems when you get right down to it. My family's healthy. Uh, you know, we, we, we've been able to provide for our daughter. We live in a great town. We just have a lot going for us. So at the end of the day, you know, when something's got me down, if that's the worst thing that ever happens, you know, we'll be okay. And I'll, I'll always be grateful to Mark Beam for, for kind of imparting that worldview into, in, into my life in a roundabout way. So. Well, and especially in that particular moment, I think that's probably 
good time to have that kind of yeah i was a little kid when that happened so i wasn't around for it but dad told that story for years and it stuck with me yeah uh just because i think it's a really great perspective well i will say so what i think of when i think of this question uh this is something that i think maybe explains a lot about uh human foibles and, and and how people react to things as well and i i don't know if i've told this or not on the dubcast before but um i had a, a government teacher in high school i was a junior i think maybe a sophomore and his name is mr jester and uh, least appropriate name for a human being of all time like mr jester did not ever crack a smile he was the he was not a gregarious human being great teacher really enjoyed him thought he was cool as hell uh, not, not one to crack a joke. And I remember one day in class, there's this kid who would just not stop challenging him on everything. And it wasn't one of those things where it's like, okay, the kid's asking a question or he's trying to point something out. He was just being combative and then not really had anything behind it. And one of my friends in class was like, Mr. Jester, can you just stop him? Can you make him stop saying stuff at like being dumb? And I remember Mr. Jester looking her in the eye and said, or looking at her and was like, look, you can hit some people in the face with a pie and they will look at you right in the eye and tell you that you missed. And I think about that a lot because it's true. There are some things that you just can't convince anyone of no matter what. And someone could you know, they could wrap their car around a tree and be like, I was driving fine. You know, they, they can, you know, they can, I don't know, pee their pants and say like, man, it's really raining hard today. It doesn't, for some people, it doesn't matter. And I think Mr. Jester perfectly encapsulated that when he said, you can hit some people in the face with a pie and they'll look you right in the eye and tell you that you missed. Yeah. And he was right. And he's right. He so is good. dead. Absolutely right. Uh, so shout out to Mr. Jester kick-ass dude um top <laughs> was actually my mom's government teacher which tells wow. you a little bit about how long he had been in <laughs> in the profession by the time he got to me which is pretty great been around a minute uh, he was around a minute but he was he was a cool guy and uh i enjoyed having him as a teacher so that's that's ask us anything for this week thank you so much for sending those questions in those were great we really appreciate them um as we do every week. So keep sending those in and we'll keep answering them. And we'll be back next week to talk about hopefully some more positive institutional things as opposed <laughs> to things that just piss us off. Um, so we'll, we'll get to those and uh, obviously your questions as well. But until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.